the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 51. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, you. Good morning. How are you? I'm uh, solo parenting this week. My husband is out of town. That always makes for, um, I love it when he's gone. I love him too, but I like kind of the space, you know, when he's gone, kind of having the bed to myself and making what I want to make. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what's going on over here. <laughs> what's going and on you're over on there? Spring, and you're on spring break? Yeah, yeah. But now is your your son's not on spring break. No, he's not. No. That's a bummer that y'all don't have the week together. I don't know if it is, Sandra. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, we have different relationships with our kids at this particular moment, yes. I think. Yes, we do. But <laughs> I know I always sound like such a naysayer. I'm sorry, but yeah, just this phase it's been a lot of detachment from me, and I'm trying not to take it personally. So so, no, the fact that I have the week, he's going to school, I'm doing carpool, but I'm having this chunk of time alone at home has been, it's really nice. Um, it's good for work and writing. I've been writing, I haven't been creating as much as I thought I would be creating this week, but um, in terms of art, but um, <coughs> painting, but I have been writing a lot. And um, I just uh, hired a lady to help me write an artist statement um, for my upcoming show and to help me with some other facets for the show. So, Mm-hmm. I'm working on stuff like that, which isn't super glamorous, but it's necessary. So I'm enjoying my time. Yeah, my son will have two weeks off in April. And, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and we're taking okay. a little family trip then. We're going down to Morro Bay, which is kind of central California uh-huh. along the coast and meeting our friends that are, are here from Paris that we usually spend the holidays with. That's the last time we'll see them before they go back to Paris. So have okay. a little, we'll have a little trip in there. But you oh, have, you nice. were just on spring break, right? Yeah, so I'm just sort of re-entering. I'm still feeling like I'm re-entering, you know, regular life after <laughs> a week of spring break. The re-entry is never just really that smooth at all. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> what did you did you do anything fun or anything creative? We just or? did little fun things. We didn't take a big trip. Although I don't know. I think maybe next spring break, it's time for a big trip. But regardless, we did not take a big trip this spring break. Um, But we did little trips. We went to see some family, you know, three hours away. We we, uh, went swimming at Barton Springs one day, which was really fun. There was a really warm day. during the week last week. Um, yeah, I attempted to work on a few projects. I attempted to get in the studio, but it was just, I just lost, kind of lost my mojo <laughs> and, um, which is fine, you know, because like I said, working at that intensity is not 
super uh, sustainable for me. I wish I could find that elusive balance, but I cannot for some reason. Um, Working at that level, uh, I think I've been doing a little research. I think it gets my cortisol levels up, you know, which is your uh, stress hormone. So it's not like a necessarily a bad stress, but it is a stress and it kind of made me sick, which Mm. I came to realize that, and I'm not super sick, but I have a little something in my chest, you know, that's making me cough. And I realized that, um, this always happens whenever I am in an intense sort of situation, I get sick and, um, it happened. We mentioned it in the podcast actually for a second, but it happened, um, before she recovers, uh, in New York, the conference last year, same thing happened. Um, so it's so interesting to observe, to observe your own patterns. Um, I, when I was drinking, I could only associate my health issues with, you know, drinking. (laughs) I could only blame it on the alcohol. Um, and now that I'm sober, it's interesting to, to see, um, you know, what I'm doing, like how my environment is affecting my health. Uh, I believe that those things are definitely related. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Like, like when you talk about how you're, when you have this kind of fevered pitch of creativity, right. Where you're in it, you're the groove, you got it. You're just going like, I know it. I know Mm -hmm. that feeling so well and I love it. And when it's happening, it's almost like, because we are so aware of ourselves now, right. That we're not drinking or we're not kind of numbing out to these things. I'm so aware of it. Like I know that I'm supposed to ride that. I know I'm supposed to just keep going. I don't get sick after it like you do, but maybe I mine manifests in a different way because I have been having anxiety attacks. So maybe I have a different way that my body is processing um, those things. But I don't know. I still think it's kind of magic when it happens. When it happens, oh, yeah. it's like this beautiful, even if you're going to get sick. Or even I if have you know, no I might regrets. Have... Right. I don't. Yeah. And, and like I said, I really don't know another way right now. Um you know, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe in the future I will work differently, but right now, um, it's working for me. It, it, I like being in that sort of fever. Bitch. I, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. It feels very, um, um, it's intoxicating that feeling. I kind of like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And I, then the if opposite. I get sick though, every time, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Sorry, friend. Yeah. But when it when it's kind of like right now I'm I'm not in that place I was all geared up to be, but that you know what yeah. they say about expectations. Right. I knew maybe when I said that I was like, I'm gonna paint every single day on spring break. Nope. The weather has not cooperated with that. Um and the scale of what I need to paint and how big these things are, I have to be outside. And it's right. it's still raining, so Mm-hmm. I'm going to work on other things, but it's, yeah, I like the, I like the, um, I like when I'm in it. Yeah. But it's restorative when you're not, I mean, there's other things right. to do and kind of prepare and for it. 
Yeah, yeah. So there was so I'm 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 actually grateful that spring break was sort of a time to to rest and yeah, restore because I needed it. Yeah. Well, the, since the last time we talked, Sandra, I went to Rob Bell. And uh-huh. wow. Wow, we did not talk about when you went to Rob Bell. I don't think we've shared Yeah, we did. Did yeah, we? I remember I had drunk people, and that was oh, all. That's right. Okay. Thank you. No drunk people at our place. No drunk yeah. people. But I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. It was good, wasn't it? I, I mean, I went to a sermon. I, I, yeah. It was a beautiful sermon that he didn't call a sermon, right, um, in the advertising oh, no. of it. He, do, he doesn't because I think he thinks that would scare people yeah, off. It would, but he often sure. calls his podcast sermons. Yeah, he does. But I mean, just the fact that I would sign up for this, go to this, make an evening of this, go with other sober ladies and sit in the audience in the, we thought we were in the front row, we were in the second row, which was better for our necks. But it just, it, it was so powerful and so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. he is a master at what he does. Oh, yeah. He didn't take, he didn't take a sip of water. I know. He didn't have a note card. And for right. two hours, he delivered like this beautiful spoken word sermon, whatever you want to call it. Like I, it was, it was just perfection. I left yeah. there just elated, and so did the ladies in the car. We were just like, "Wow, what did we just witness? Something really powerful, really beautiful." Yeah, yeah. But couldn't you have heard Pete Rollins speak another hour too? Um, yeah, just me and him. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I, so when Bad. we walked in, Sandra, <laughs> Pete, Pete Rollins was setting up his book. Did he at give the you table. a matchbook? Um, he would have. I was too nervous to. He gave oh. it to some of the other ladies. I didn't take one. Okay. I got but when matchbook. we walked in, he was at his table setting up his books. And um, we walked over and I'm like, I go, they're making you do this too? Like the whole setup? They're like making you just like set up this for yourself? And he was like, yeah, but they're not going to make me work it, you know. And then the gal started chatting with him and he handed them some matchbooks or whatever. He, I don't even know what he handed them because I was so starstruck. It was a matchbook and brilliant. he was, it was sort of a joke. He was oh, saying he was going to give a free book to everyone ah, in the audience. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we went and sat down and I was like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's right there. And I was a little bit starstruck. And, um, and Natalie was, and I, and I, so I was telling the gals, we went with Tiffany Hahn, who's been on our pod and Ashley Nichols, who's been on the pod too. And Natalie and our friend Gloria and a couple other gals. And Natalie's like, go tell him, you know, what you want to tell him. And I'm like, well, I'm like, it sounds kind of weird. Like you helped me find, believe in God. Like, I, I don't know. It's a little weird to go tell somebody that. <laughs> Um, and she's like, well, fine, then don't. And then so I sat there and I was like, all right. So I walked over to him and he was just by himself at this point. And I was like, so when I was flying home on a plane, I was listening to the series on God that you did with Rob Bell. And it just really opened up a lot of thinking for me in terms of believing what God is. And I just wanted to say thank you. And he was very sweet and said, you're welcome. And we chatted a little bit about some books on his table. And then I went and sat down and I was like, okay, I feel like I'm about 14 right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm about 14. And, and I'm like, I'm like, he's so cute. And Natalie goes, he's trouble. He's trouble. <laughs> he's smart. He's rugged. He drinks. No, you stay far away from that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm he's Irish. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, and there's that other part that I'm married, that I only pretend that I have make-believe boyfriends on the right. show. I don't have real ones, people. I don't. I just have my husband. But a girl likes to, you know, pretend. So um, I, I, what I got out of the um, talk, I mean, so much of it was that, just that short little intro that he did, though, um, that he made a lot of impact on me. And I wrote a lot of notes from just what he said. And my favorite, which I've been sharing on social media this week, was my word for the year is grace. And um, he said, grace can be found when you stop the frenetic pursuit. Mm, yeah, I remember that. Uh, that just, that's why I have been slowing down. And that's why I'm not getting everything accomplished that I need to accomplish. And I'm just going to let that be not without it being laziness and without it being sloth or anything like that. Just. I, I don't know what I'm chasing. I, I do feel somewhat in my sobriety, Sandra, that I'm chasing um, the pursuit is for making up for lost time. Right. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so to pause or, or, or to find that, that the holy shift, as he said, is, is when you stop. That's what he said. And I was like, yeah, okay, you can make a shift when I can kind of stop and take stock of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to put place a value on it. It's not good or bad. It right. just is. Right. Yeah. Those, those two were so wise and beautiful and their whole, if you have a chance to see them in their, in your neighborhood, they're really, really fantastic. Yeah. So. It was great. It was really great. Well, can we talk about our art exchange just <gasps> really quickly? Please. <laughs> so amazing. I couldn't get out of our um, Art Exchange secret Facebook group yesterday morning. It was just post after post. I was just blown away. Yeah. So if people don't know what we're talking about, we should tell them a little. Um, We, um, what what was it, Sandra, like a year and a half ago? Oh, for a year ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, Sandra and I had been talking. Sandra had this... um, idea and that she'd kind of riffed on from her husband's art exchange, right? Can you tell them? Mm-hmm. You'll tell it better than I will. Yeah. My husband and his uh, colleagues from art school, college, uh, and some of the professors get together once a year and they do an art exchange once a year. They always have a theme. They come up with a theme immediately after the art exchange party that they have. And um, they come up with the theme for the next year and Essentially, they have a year to create the piece. I don't think anybody uses the year. They probably start in right. December, but right. whatever. Um, and their themes are usually about the the um, materials. Is that the right word? The uh, yeah, yeah. Medium, the medium. Yeah. The medium. Usually, not always. Um, Examples are Altoid box or uh, junk, trash, um, uh, nature, um, masks, uh, self-portrait. So those are some just some examples of the themes. And then they um, uh, choose names. They draw names. And then that's their art exchange partner. And so we kind of riffed on that. Um, I had taken a bunch of pictures of Mark's art that he had around the house. And I think I texted him to you and I was like, so, and I was just, blah, 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 I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this idea? I think this is, this is, we, I wonder if we can get some women to do this with us. And um, that's how it started. And at the very least we knew that you and I would do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we would, we could exchange with each other. 
So yeah, so then we um, put the call out there, created a secret Facebook page for it, because not everybody that is participating is necessarily out about their recovery. But for those who are, we were asking people to, you know, write a blog post, uh, post on social media and use um, our Instagram handle, uh, the recovery, well, not the recovery not gals bad. art exchange, which if you go to that on Instagram, recovery gals art exchange, you will find so many beautiful projects that have been um, exchanged over the last year and a half. Right. And so we exchange on the equinoxes and the solstices. Solstices. And so yesterday was the first day of spring for us here. And by the time this airs, <clears throat> that'll be old news. But that's the day that we start the exchanges. And they kind of bloom and happen for what, like a month or so? Yeah, yeah. yeah they'll keep trickling in. But it's like Christmas. Yesterday was like, I couldn't even, I had so much to do. I couldn't comment on everything until last night. But it was like making me so happy to see. Oh, they interpreted yes. the theme this time around. Tell, tell, tell everybody about the theme. So the theme this, this time around was metamorphosis and um, oh, just so many beautiful interpretations of that theme, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, such a great word yeah. with a packed full of meaning, especially for women in recovery. Yeah. And um, lots of butterflies, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so much so many beautiful pieces being shared it's and connections made that's that's um probably as big a piece as just the tangible art itself yeah well this is the largest one we've done so far so i think there was 52 over 50 yeah yeah over 50 and so we paired them up and What I liked that was happening, Sandra, is that they started notifying each other on the Facebook page, you know, so-and-so, be on the lookout for your package. And Mm -hmm. and then, oh, I just mailed your package. And so we started seeing this kind of build beforehand that we've not really seen before. Right. I think it's because we had so many people this time. (sighs) And so I like that they were kind of like warning each other, like, incoming, some (laughs) awesomeness is coming to your your mailbox. (laughs) Be ready. And then people just started sharing um, where I feel like before you and I have either shared and kind of kicked off the sharing. And what happened yesterday was this beautiful reveal of so many um, projects that just organically wasn't about you or me. Like you said, I think you said that in a text. Like it was about yeah, the project. Zero percent about me. Like yep. I, Not a text. I can honestly say I have no ego in this at whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's just um, the gift is... Of, of all the connections being made. Yeah. And the mediums, you know, needlepoint, um, embroidery. No, maybe not needlepoint. Embroidery. Um, people are making things with wood. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? It's, I'm almost overwhelmed. Like, I can't even. Um, There's been, uh, there was photography. Yes. Um, um, paintings. So, some paintings. Uh, quilts. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, Collage. Yes, you got yours, which was, oh my gosh, I could look at that thing forever. There was so much to see. I could, yes, I know. I'm, I'm hanging at my studio so that, that when I need a break, I can just stare at it because there's so many little pieces of it that, that are revealed every time I look at it. It's so dense. So we will be announcing a new theme for summer. 
for the summer solstice. And that probably will be, we'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and that way, if anybody wants to join, you can uh, let us know on Facebook and we can add you to that <coughs> secret group. We know we have a lot of secret groups. <laughs> We do, yeah. but you know we're trying. We'll to... be mentioning another one in the, <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> secret, 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 which aren't really secret at all. Once you're in there, it's very. Uh, there's no secrets. It's all. It's all. Yeah. Transparent, but um, so yeah, that is just lovely, and I can't. I cannot wait to. Um, I cannot wait to keep this going and see what happens with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we should talk about our lovely guest yes. today because we are so excited and honored that. Um, Taryn Strong is on the podcast today. And if you don't know who Taryn Strong is, she is the co-founder of She Recovers, along with her mother, Dawn Nichols. And if you don't know what She Recovers is, I mean, I was going to go and read there. Um... <laughs> Sandra, I lost it. Help me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I'm over there. Here it is. I'm sorry. I have a beautiful manifesto. Yes. Um, and, and they have, um, they set intentions and guiding principles for what she recovers is. And the basic, the um, intention of the, of the organization is that the, the idea is that we are all recovering from something. And it goes on to kind of list all of these different things. So I think any woman can identify with this organization, grief, um, illnesses, addiction, um, alcoholism, whatever, whatever you are recovering from, um, codependency, Tendency, eating disorder. Yeah, disorder, eating, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So that, um, that they, she's co-founded this with her mother. We talk a great deal about that in the interview, but I was going to just tell you guys a little bit about Taryn. Um, she talks about her recovery um, when we do the interview, but she is in recovery from drug addiction and self-harm, disordered eating and codependency, to name a few things. Uh, she was raised by recovering parents, which she touches on in the interview. Dawn Nichols is her mom. Um, so recovery has been a really big part of her life for a really long time, since she was four years old. Um, she completed her 300-hour yoga teacher training program in her hometown of Victoria, British Columbia, back in 2007. After falling in love with yogic philosophies and the power of transformation through the mind-body-spirit connection. Um, so Taryn received her Yoga of Recovery certification at the Sivanata ashram yoga farm and her yoga for trauma which we talk about a lot in the podcast certification in 2014 she has since developed a unique uh, yoga for recovery program um, that she's put together she's putting this together all herself which integrates yoga and meditation with spirituality and recovery principles from a wide variety of recovery pathways including but not limited to uh, 12-step in addition, oh, go ahead, no, go no, ahead, no, yeah. read the rest. Um, and she, but in addition to teaching yoga classes across Victoria and leading the Yoga for Recovery program for She Recovers Retreats, Taryn's latest role is as the creator and artisan of the She Recovers Malas. And she does many more things that we touch on in the um, interview. But we wanted you guys to know that if you wanted <coughs> to find out more about She Recovers, you could go to their website, it's sherecovers.co. And they also have a newsletter there that you can sign up for and learn about their retreats and their big event that's coming up in September down in L.A., which we touch on in the interview as well. So there's a lot packed into this, um, but not like I'd, it's going to be easy and flowy. And I think you're going to just see like her energy is just so beautiful, so beautiful to chat with her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's it. Hope you enjoy it. Yes, enjoy, Taryn. Welcome to the show, Taryn. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to have you, Taryn. It's a pleasure. You've been busy. You've been a busy lady since I've seen you last. Yes. (laughs) Mom and I have lots of really exciting projects and balls up in the air right now. But we're excited about all of them. So it it doesn't feel busy. It doesn't feel like work, right, when you're doing Mm. what you love. So it's just keeping us excited and and inspired to keep doing what we're doing. Oh, I love that. That is an aspiration for sure. Well, you guys do make it kind of look easy. I don't know. Every time I see pictures of you, too, you look – you're on a beach, and so you look really relaxed and (laughs) – Yeah, um, you know, those are the good pictures. Those are when we're on retreats, but, you know, the in-betweens can be hairy sometimes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Hairy. <laughs> yes. Well, we, I want to know, we want to know all about that and kind of um, how that all came to be with She Recovers. But first, maybe we, we can lay a foundation for our listeners um, who, who, maybe they're not familiar with you. I don't know how they're not, yeah. but if they're not, uh, maybe we could let them know a little bit about your story and how you came to um, sobriety or your your own recovery. And if you could share that with us, I would love that. Yeah, I would love to. So I am a woman in recovery from substance use disorder, so drugs and alcohol, um, self-harm, disordered eating, trauma, codependency, um, and all the things that come along with those things as well. So I always say I'm also in recovery from having absolutely no self-esteem, no self-worth, a lot of self-blame, self-loathing, and and all those things as well. But my journey is I have a mother in recovery. My stepfather is as well. But um, I've been in a house of recovery since I was four years old. So my mom entered recovery in 89, I suppose it was. And growing up, it was a 12-step home. So my earliest and my first childhood memories that I can recall were at 12-step meetings and the campouts and different gatherings that we would attend. And I remember being a little girl. And back then in 12-step meetings, you could smoke cigarettes in the meetings. So I remember sitting in these smoke-filled rooms. People are smoking and they're drinking coffee. But I remember just knowing and thinking that these people in these rooms were the real deal and that they were cool like I really looked up to them um, I just knew that these these were my people they were they were mm-hmm. real they were genuine they were authentic men these biker like tattooed dudes would cry and they would be vulnerable and they were our extended family we um, you know to be honest we aren't that close with our family family so the 12 step folks, they became my aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers and cousins. So I was really, really lucky. And you would think that because that was my environment that I grew up in, having such awareness around drugs and alcohol, that I wouldn't have chose the path that I chose. But I, you know, genetics, genetics. Um, When I was third, no, actually, I was 12 was the first time I drank alcohol. And I remember the first time I, you know, got drunk, it gave me this false sense of confidence that I never had. I was this preteen, almost teenage girl. I was, I was a competitive dancer, 
And I remember when I experienced alcohol for the first time, I just, I felt like I could do anything. So that was my first taste of alcohol. But I didn't actually end up liking it that much at that age because I wasn't good at it. I would, I didn't understand the the idea of I would drink and then I would puke and pass out. So that wasn't fun to me. So I wanted to be a party girl and, and alcohol wasn't helping me with that because I would just go to bed early. Mm-hmm. So I explored smoking pot. And again, that would just make me antisocial and hungry. So I thought, nope, drug like booze and pot, they're not for me. But I was always very, very curious about the other drugs, in particular cocaine, knowing that it was something that had really taken over my parents' life for so long. So I was just curious what the deal, what the fuss was about. So at 16, I was very resourceful. None of my friends were doing it or had any interest at all. It never even crossed their minds, but I was always curious about it. So resourceful 16-year-old Taryn found a drug dealer and um, found cocaine. And the rest is kind of history from there for my addiction. I remember saying that it was love at first sight for me. Um, It was everything that I was looking for from alcohol and pot that they weren't giving me. Um, Because I was 16, it was a very quick, it was a quick bottom for me. I guess I shouldn't say because I was 16, maybe age has nothing to do with it. But I was just extremely self-destructive. I ended up dating the, 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 the drug dealer and leaving home several times, running away from home several times to, to live with him and be with him. And cocaine turned into crystal meth as well. But having parents in recovery was the best case scenario because my parents were clear and they were present. And they had this amazing community of other recovering parents to support them through this time. And they, I guess what they did, what they say they did was they did everything that their parents didn't do. Now, I think every situation with a child, an addict, a child that who's an addict is, is different. But for me, in my case, what my parents did was they never, they never gave up on me. Um, they always made sure that I knew that when I was, that the one I wanted to go home, if I wanted to go home, the door was open and that they were going to be there with open, loving arms. And that was what I needed because I got to this age or I got to this point where I was sitting in this grungy, grungy hotel room in Edmonton, Alberta, and I was surrounded by these wannabe gangsters. They were like 17 gangster like wannabe guys and um but it was scary like they were we were getting into the drugs sorry into the the guns and and the violence and I remember just sitting there thinking oh my gosh this this what have I done this this is this isn't fun anymore this is frightening I'm gonna die and that night I went home knowing that when I got home my parents were going to be loving and supportive and I really, looking back, I feel like if I would have gone home and known that there was going to be any type of shaming, I don't think I would have gone home. Of course there were consequences. I mean, my God, they took the computer away. They took the phones away. I was in trouble. They put me into therapy. I had a drug therapist. I had a family therapist. But um, never in my life have my parents who were in recovery ever shamed me or made me feel like a bad person or guilty for what happened. Hmm. 
So that was when I was mm-hmm. 16. And then um, I was, you know, I was clean. I didn't, I was that teenager in grade 12 who I wasn't drinking or doing drugs. And then when I was 20, looking back, I didn't realize this was happening at the time. But when I was 20, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And I mean, my mom, as I'm sure you all know, my mom is my sister and I's person. She is our heart. She, I mean, she is, my dad was my first codependent relationship, but my mother is definitely my second codependent relationship. (laughs) Not anymore. I'm in recovery. We've done a lot of work around that. But it's, I looking back, the way that I started dealing with that was I started binge drinking. My sister and I were doing it. But I was 20 years old, and we were doing it on the weekends, right? Um, sometimes during the week, I imagine. But I had, you know, kind of convinced myself that, okay, well, I'm just drinking. It's just alcohol. I'm not doing the other drugs that I had a bottom with when I was 16. This this is fine. I'm, I'm a normie. Look at me go. This is so great. I But um, it really, looking back, it was... It was scary. It was it was dangerous as well, what we would get into when we were under the influence. So that was early 20s. Mom, of course, she survived cancer. Um, in my early 20s, I fell in love very quickly. Got very, I got married to someone who I only knew a few months. And our marriage, as you can imagine, didn't last. It, it was short and sweet. But when my marriage ended, so throughout those years, again, I was sober and clean. I never, I didn't say I'm sober and clean. I never said I was in recovery because I didn't identify as that, but I just, it didn't, it just, it didn't interest me. I guess I had nothing to numb in terms of feelings because, you know, things, things were going good. I had just discovered yoga. I had a great job. I was a makeup artist at Mac Cosmetics that I loved and I was in love and I just, I just stopped drinking and using Actually, sorry, in my early 20s, I wasn't using it all. It was just alcohol and pop. But then when the marriage ended, I was extremely embarrassed and full of shame because we got married so quickly. And I know that people were, you know, probably thinking this isn't going to last. And then it didn't. And I felt guilty for my parents because they helped me throw a beautiful, magnificent wedding. So Mm -hmm. now I'm in my mid-20s and newly newly single and full of shame and regret and embarrassment. And what my single girlfriends were doing at the time, again, is on the weekends, they would go out dancing and drinking. I didn't know what else to do. So that's, that's what I started doing as well on the weekends was drinking and dancing. But I, you know, it was, it's socially acceptable at that age. I was a girl in my twenties, single, having fun drinking. That's also when um, Tinder became a thing or at least when I discovered Tinder. So then I also started dating um, and, you know, using that as another way to to numb out, divert, and distract myself. One of those weekends when I was binge drinking with um, somebody who I'd met over Tinder, um, cocaine came out. And I, I, I did it. And then that was a few years of, my binge drinking turned into uh, all the drug use, which turned into just on weekends to multiple times a week. Now, keep in mind, She Recovers was already thing, a thing at this point. When we started mm-hmm. She Recovers, I was not drinking. I was not doing drugs. I would say I was in recovery from codependency because that was genuinely how I felt at the time. 
So now we have She Recovers and I'm out of control and keeping it from my mother and keeping it from everybody. Mm-hmm. I told myself that I was okay because I wouldn't drink when I, or I wouldn't use when I taught the next day. And I wouldn't use prior to retreats. I would make sure that I had cleaned up for a little while before these retreats. Um, and then I had a boyfriend who, you know, was my kind of wake up call and said to me, you are not an integrity. This is scary. You're scary. You need to talk to your mom and you need, you need to, you need to really, you need to get help because you're just, I'm watching you. Um, I'm watching your addiction progress before my eyes. And that was my wake up call. Mm-hmm. I didn't hit a bottom. I mean, I, I guess it was, it was an emotional bottom for me because the shame and the guilt that I would feel every time was just crippling. Like the emotional hangovers that I have would last for weeks and I hated myself and I felt like a fraud. And well, you just weren't integrated, right? You just, exactly. yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so yes, yeah, so my bottom was a different bottom this, that time around and I have been happily clean and sober since, and that was August 2016. April, sorry, April 2016. That's amazing. <clears throat> God, well, Sandra and I talk about often, you know, the bottom can be a feeling. It doesn't have to be this kind of physical, um, this physical bottom with booze or alcohol or with drugs, but just that. Or just the outside consequences. Yeah. You know, this, exactly. A lot of people associate with the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I did, and I think it was, I mean, I was growing, I grew up in a 12 step home, as I mentioned. So, you know, this, with this, what I call it my last time around, my last time around, I was comparing myself to the people in the meetings and thinking, well, I'm not powerless. I'm, I, I but it's, I was a high functioning addict, right? But I would compare myself to the people in the rooms, and I was like, well, I haven't lost my job. I haven't lost my relationship. I haven't lost my house. I'm functioning very well. Um, I'm doing really good. And then I would even be at retreats and these She Recovers things, and, and people would ask, and I would tell them I was a normie. Like, I never pretended that I didn't drink or do drugs. I, I, never, I never lied. I was the only one in denial about how bad my use was. So I would tell people I was a normie and I would, again, compare myself to the women on retreats and be like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm not I'm not there. It was just me convincing myself that I was OK. Um, so one of our intentions and guiding principles and she recovers that is so close to my heart is which is in alignment with you ladies, is that we believe in early intervention and that we don't have to hit uh, rock bottom to pursue recovery in any area of our lives. That's right. Yeah. Because I would have got there. I would have hit it. Well, and that's what I was going to say. You may have been looking at your future for sure. And those other women um, on those retreats that you were comparing yourself to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you, um, Taryn? I was uh, 29. 29. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's... Um, I mean, like you, like you said, you weren't in alignment, right? And your boyfriend pointed this yeah. out and you didn't, your integrity, that's what I, it's like the, um, the fact that we're not in, in kind of congruency with ourselves or what we, or what the person we really thought we were going to be, mm-hmm. you know? And then when that starts kind of eroding and kind of tapping at us going, you know, you're not, you're feeling so guilty and you're feeling so bad and you're feeling full of shame because you know better. Yeah. You just have to do better, but you, you know, you kind of know deep down 
And like now I'm sure I'm not speaking for you, but for me, I know that I feel good every single day. Not great. Not, not always just perfect, but I feel good knowing that, um, I'm honest now. Absolutely. In all of my affairs. Yeah. There's no better feeling in the world than yeah. Being in alignment and just being our true authentic self there there's nothing more powerful and yeah it's not not every day is perfect and beautiful it's hard recovery is hard we're feeling it all right yeah but no matter how hard it is or how painful things are or how deep the feelings are being my true authentic self is it's worth it there's i wouldn't i will not trade it in the world for anything ever again Hmm. well thank you so much for sharing your story taryn I think it's so powerful, yeah. and I think it's powerful to, for for um, all the women that'll be listening today. I'm sure, um, and then the women that you guys reach at your retreats, and um, for, for again for our listeners, um, can you tell us a little bit? So your mom is um, Don Nichols, and did you guys found and start She Recovers together? Did you join in a little bit later? How did that come to be? I don't fully know that story. Oh yeah, yeah. So mom, she in 2011, 2010, 2011, she started blogging. And she, her blog was called Recovering Dawn. And it was called Recovering Dawn, but she was just blogging anonymously. Nobody actually knew who Dawn was about her recovery, her, her addiction and her recovery. And she started blogging because she had just hit a wall with workaholism. And in her exploration around her workaholism, she realized that it was very similar to when she was in her active addiction. Um, so she was, you know, processing it through her blog and then the blog started getting a lot of women commenting and, and relating, but because she had the workaholism thing that she was working on, she realized that she can't be working a full-time job and blogging every night. Cause as I'm sure you ladies know, a blog, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's a few hours a day. So she realized that you know, she needs something had to change. So we started the Facebook page. The Facebook page was, and we changed, she actually, it was her idea to change the name to She Recovers because she didn't want it to be about her. She didn't want it to be the Recovering Dawn Facebook page. She wanted it to be for women in recovering from all sorts of life's challenges because she realized that her story had evolved to not just being in recovery from drugs and alcohol. So this was 2011 now when Facebook, when the inspirational memes had just become popular Mm -hmm. and beautiful thing to do. So she, you know, bless her heart. She didn't know anything about Facebook. She didn't know what to do, how to do it. So I helped her set up and create the Facebook page. She recovers. And then she, she started the Facebook page kind of on her own with my help here and there. But at the same time as the, she recovers Facebook page had just been created. I was, doing my studies in yoga for recovery. And then in 2012 is when we started doing the retreats together. So mom started the blog and then together we did the Facebook page and everything after together. Wow. And so it just kind of bloomed, right? I mean, it seems like that Facebook page definitely bloomed and resonated with people. Oh my gosh. It's all been organic. Honestly, She Recovers, it started as a Facebook page. That's all that we intended it to be. Um, We've never 
paid for we don't know how to do any of the paid advertising or anything like that it just organically has grown into um over 270,000 followers now wow so the message is definitely resonating and through through the facebook page and through our retreats and events and workshops which i'm sure we'll talk about at some point in this call um yeah we've just been listening to what what resonates with the women and really paying attention and that's how we created our guiding intentions and our principles um just from listening to what what the women are seeking and what they're wanting in recovery and what they needed that wasn't there or that they weren't getting from from certain things so just ensuring that we're really fostering and nurturing that we support all pathways and all patchworks and that really resonates do you remember what it was like putting together that first retreat? Like, were you thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we could get five women together on a beach and <laughs> yes. and oh, offer God. yoga? And yeah, How, what was yeah. that like? It was it's so funny. It was it was like a bucket list item. I remember when I did my yoga teacher training, I thought in 2007, I thought one day, maybe in like 20 years, I want to do a yoga retreat. And then that'll like when I that'll be my thing and then I'll retire. (laughs) So when mom, she was in Mexico and she called me from Mexico and she was like, I think we should do a yoga retreat for women in recovery. And I thought, yes. And we were like, okay, we have a few thousand followers on Facebook. Sure, great. This will be awesome. Everybody's going to want to come meet us on the beach in Tulum, Mexico, is when we did our first one. But it ended up the first retreat was mainly friends of ours um, who who love us and you know would support anything that we do. So yeah, it was just this beautiful experience of women all coming together again, all recovering from different things, all having different patchworks and pathways of recovery. It was a beautiful week of self care yoga twice a day, healthy, nourishing meals. And honestly, we we had no intentions of doing another retreat. But the last day of that retreat, nine out of the 18 women before they left Mexico handed us checks for next year's retreat. Oh, wow. There you go. And we laughed and we said, oh, I guess we're doing a retreat next year. We honestly had no intention to. And then again, the um, the retreats have just organically grown into now we do at least six a year in Mexico and Salt Spring and we were in Bali last year and that's amazing every retreat we have it's 50 to 70 percent of the women have been on a retreat with us before Mm. Um, we've done it'll be our 20th retreat this coming May and some of the women have been on 12 retreats with us before so it's just these women have become our family Wow. We're so lucky. Yeah. 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 That speaks to what you offer. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that says everything. Well, the, yeah. the, there's that beautiful, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if it's your mission statement, but, or, or what you would call it. Maybe you can help me with that, but that we're all recovering from something, right? Is that? Yeah. And, yes. and that speaks to so many different people, you know, um, if you're recovering Absolutely. from cancer, like you said, workaholism, alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, like all of those things, every woman I know is in recovery from something, you know, and kind of that brings us together rather than separate us. It's kind of this beautiful unification of your of your mod of I mean I know it's not you didn't go in it as a business model but that it, it just bloomed to be that you know it just became yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it resonates. Definitely. Well, when did you, I'm curious, so this, so this, I feel like this whole endeavor with you and your mom is just saying that this creative, it's a creative endeavor. Like you've created a community. You've created this, um, this place for people to, to come together and to have, you know, share some common, um, struggles and, and victories, but you started creating malas as well, right? Yeah. And so how, how did that come to be or where was that in the, in the timeline or maybe take me a little bit through the timeline after the retreats was what, what came next? Yeah. So 2007 was my yoga teacher training and then I did some specialized yoga for recovery and trauma-informed yoga training as well. And through that, I created my own yoga for recovery program. And then the retreats happened. After the retreats, we started, yeah, I, you know what, I went to a workshop, this amazing girl from my hometown, Victoria, her name is Rachel, and she is from Shanti Collective, that is her jewelry line. And she was offering a workshop how to make malas, and I always wanted to know how. So I took the workshop and instantly fell in love with designing the mala and making the mala. It was such, like Rachel had said, it is the intention behind it. It is such a meditative process. So I just started making malas for my own pleasure, just because that was what I like to do at the end of the night. It was my meditation. It was my creative outlet. I loved buying the beads. I loved everything about it. And as I was wearing the malas, people would always ask where I got it. So then I would start, you know, as you've seen, you take the mala off your neck and you give it to someone else. So the malas I was making and just giving away and people kept asking where they could get them, where they could buy for their friends. So again, just organically came up with the idea and decided to create a She Recovers mala line. So it, it actually, we have the online store is, is not online right now. We had to close it because it's mom and I that make them. Mom makes the bracelets. I taught her how to make the bracelets. Mm -hmm. I make the necklaces. And right now, unfortunately, we don't have the capacity to make them. It's, we love it, but we just, um, you know, something had to go. And unfortunately, right now, it had to be the malas. So the mala um, bracelet, the design is, there's one, what I call a center bead. And then there's 20 beads surrounding the center bead. And the center bead, the one that is unique to the other 20, that represents you. And then the surrounding beads represent all the women that surround you in your recovery, that support you in recovery, that you sit in circle with. Mm-hmm. And then um, the malas, they all have different names, you know, self-love, believe, hope, faith, etc. So they all have some, whatever the stone is and the properties of the stone is how we came up with the name for the malas. Oh, I love that. I, yeah. love, I was the lucky recipient of one at your last retreat, and I feel yes. like I, I feel like I stole that one a little bit. But you were like, "Nope, it was oh, meant right." For you. I remember the story. <laughs> there was two Tammies. Two Tammies. There were two Tammies. That was perfect. It was meant to be for both of you. <laughs> it was funny because I was sitting next to Sasha Carellas, who makes her Sacha Malas, yeah, and uh, mine right now. Uh, and I was teasing her. I was like. I, I leaned down and whispered in her ear and I said, I'm going to manifest me winning 
a raffle prize today. And she's like, yeah. And she goes, you do that. I go, I'm doing it right now. And so I told Natalie who was sitting next to me. And so they were kind of giggling. And my, and, and when you said Tammy, I just stood up. And it was the other Tammy who was there. And you guys were so graceful about it and just were like, nope, that's how it's meant to be. And I was like, and Sasha's like, way to steal a mala. Why, that was great. That's great. Steal, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna choose the the yeah. So it's so beautiful. Thank so you. I love it. It feels so sturdy on too. It feels just nice and and oh, so grounding. Glad. So, so thank glad you. you. Love it. Thank you. Um, okay. So I I don't want to I don't want to skip over. Um, I wanted to talk about the malas, but I also wanted to talk about your yoga for trauma. Your um, that, that you've taught that I've been able to take two classes from you. And um, I just, you're certified in it, you teach it. Um, and so could you talk a little bit about that, Taryn? And then there's a component to it about the intergenerational trauma that you speak about um, generational, the generations that come before and after that I just think our listeners would love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I took on my, it was a 300 hour yoga teacher training I took in 2007. And that was, it was an amazing training. I loved it. It was to certify me to teach more of a half a style. But I realized, and one of the reasons I took my yoga teacher training is because I knew that I wanted to focus my, my teaching and my studies on teaching to people in recovery. And at that time I was just, I just had the lens of addiction um, and alcoholism, because that was my experience. But I, so I did take a yoga for trauma training, but then I took a trauma informed training. And that I have to say to any yoga teachers listening who want to teach in this type of setting, trauma informed yoga is the most important piece of training that, that you will take. It really was it was so um, eye-opening for me, and it really helped me become um, a confident teacher in this setting. Because my first teaching job, I was teaching at, I was volunteering in a detox facility, and I was, I wasn't, I realized looking back, I wasn't really equipped to be teaching in that setting because people were being easily triggered and I just, Mm -hmm. I wasn't confident. So trauma-informed training. There are books by David Emerson that I absolutely recommend, but I will give you my spiel about it and how it differs from any other yoga class. So what's wonderful about the time that we are alive in right now is that a lot of therapists and doctors and just health practitioners, when anybody is on this healing journey or recovery journey, a lot of times now they're being recommended to try yoga, which is wonderful because absolutely everybody should at least try it. Maybe it's not your thing, but you should at least try it. But if, just, if you go to just any drop-in yoga class, any drop in yoga class can actually be quite triggering and not, it's not the teacher's fault. They're not doing anything wrong. But if you think about it, if somebody is recovering from a sexual trauma and they're in a down dog pose or a child's pose and a teacher that they don't know, someone that they don't know comes up behind them and maybe their eyes are open, maybe their eyes are closed, but somebody comes up behind them and has their hands on their hips and forces any, you know, it's just, they're just trying to give them an adjustment. But if they ha- come behind them and give them adjustment hands on their hips, for et cetera, for example, pardon me, 
that can be quite triggering, right? Mm, um, yeah. Certain language that can be used can be really triggering okay. as well. So in a trauma-informed yoga class, there are no hands-on adjustments. All of the cues are done verbally. Um, in a trauma-informed yoga class, the, the teacher has the skills and has the tools to help if one of their students becomes disassociated during class, which can happen. Um, and people, of course, disassociate in all sorts of different ways, but it's so important as a yoga teacher to, to know what to do if, if that happens so that everybody is safe, not all of the students in that class. Um, and just ensuring that the language is really inviting and empowering. So lots of choices are given in a, given in a trauma-informed yoga class. Lots of exploration is, is given so that a student can explore it in their own body and a student can decide what feels good in their body or not. Because a lot of people who may be in your yoga class in this setting, if they're recovering from trauma, maybe at some point they actually didn't have any, any power over their body. So to come to a yoga class and be given the option to come into Warrior A or not, or to go deeper into a lunge or not, it might not seem like that big of a deal to some people, but to other people, having that choice of what they get to do with their body is very, very powerful and very empowering. What does um, disassociation look like exactly? Yeah, so for some people, they might stop moving. So whether mm. they're standing or sitting, they'll just, they'll stop moving. And you can kind of see there's this almost vacant look, look in their eyes. They're there mm. physically, but mentally, they're somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it can look like rage. Sometimes it can look like uncontrollable sobbing. Sometimes it can look like not having control over their body. So maybe certain types of twitching or, you know, just certain type of body movements that they, they aren't in control of or that they maybe don't even know that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it really varies from person to person. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, so I, having, no, sorry. No, I'm just saying, I, I like, I like, um, I like knowing that. I like knowing, um, yeah. I do like touch in a yoga class, but I haven't, I don't, haven't had that kind of trauma. So I can definitely, when you say that, it makes me, it, it's helpful to think about the others in the room. You're right. That, that could be very different for people that are in a, in a class of 20 or a hundred people, you know, like that are at some of your events, like that's because yeah. you did, you walked through. So you, when you, when you were walking through the class and talking, Taryn, mm -hmm. it felt like you were touching us a little bit, right? With your voice. Yeah. Not with your physical hands, like laying them on yeah. us. So that, okay. I like that. And I like when you well, did that. And I, <clears throat> I can imagine as a teacher, you feel responsible for the environment and that's a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's, it's not just teaching a yoga class. It's not just getting people to stretch their hamstrings. It's really about holding space and creating this container and this hour long or 90 minute journey where people are healing. And, um, and it's, it's a big responsibility. And mm -hmm. yoga teachers, we have to take it very seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, I can go, go on and on about yeah, that. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. But, 
Well, I guess that kind of really sums it up. You just, as a trauma-informed yoga teacher, and I also, I should add, I've just started creating content. I'm going to be creating a She Recovers Yoga Teacher training. And so women can um, become a She Recovers Yoga Teacher. But what that means is it's going to be a a training for people who are already teachers that can take a certification. And I'm going to be covering a big component of the She Recovers Yoga training will be the trauma-informed yoga piece. But um, I guess a trauma-informed yoga teacher just really, it's about creating this warm, welcoming, empowering, nurturing space by ensuring that the students feel safe and supported and in control and that they know that if they want to stay in Shavasana for the entire class, that they can and that that is just, sometimes, some days that is exactly what you need and just as important. And I've had a lot of women come to our events and workshops and just stay in Shavasana the entire time and never regret it. They will always say afterwards, oh my gosh, I didn't plan on doing that, but I'm so glad I did. Mm, so yeah. giving people the option and knowing that it's okay. You're right. And also knowing that what I find a really important message to give our students in this setting is we have this image that, okay, you go to yoga and then you feel so grounded and balanced and zen. But sometimes our yoga practice actually provokes something. It cracks us open because for so long when we're off of our yoga mat, we're using our substances or our relationships, our behaviors to numb, to distract, to divert. So then it's on. we're on our yoga mat and we start to feel these feelings and these emotions that we've been trying to run from. And that can be, it's terrifying, but it's also extremely empowering. But I also like to message and ensure that women know that come to my classes you might come to a yoga class and leave feeling worse than when you arrived at the yoga class. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, worse in quotations because it's, it's a part of the journey. But, you know, you, you might cry the entire time or you might leave class feeling angry and full of rage. You don't know why, but it's because something has been provoked. Some, you've scratched the surface of something and it's, and I, and it's, it's to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. But a lot of sometimes if you aren't aware of that, you leave yoga and you think, well, I'm never doing that again. Why would I, why would I want to do that? So yeah. Yeah. As you're saying this, I keep thinking of that, that phrase that Nikki Myers coined, I believe when she yes. said that your issues are in your tissues and yes. um, yeah, that's exactly, they sure are. So well, the intergenerational trauma piece. Um, so I love, I love geeking out on this in my own personal journey right now and just studying it. So what in Ayurveda, so the sister science to yoga for thousands and thousands of years, they have been saying that we hold the trauma from three generations before us. And then, of course, we will pass that trauma to the next, to the three generations ahead. But again, another exciting thing about being alive at this time that we're alive in right now is scientists have these fancy tools that they're able to, you know, confirm. Not that we, not not everybody needs confirmation. I didn't need confirmation. I always knew it to be true, but it doesn't hurt to have that extra evidence. Um, Some scientists, and not all, but some scientists are saying that we're actually in our DNA carrying the trauma from seven, seven generations before, and then we will carry that on to the next seven generations. 
So what I think of when I hear that, and one of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Christiane Northrup, and she says that every woman who heals herself helps heal all the women who came before and all the women who will come after. But I like to add to that that every woman who heals herself helps heal all the men and women who came before and all the men and women who will come after because it, it's not just the women that we're healing when we're doing this work that we're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so everything that we're doing in our recovery journeys is we're helping to heal our mothers and our fathers and our grandparents and their grandparents. And we're breaking these patterns that were passed down to us and all of these things that we're carrying around that were never ours even in the first place we're breaking these patterns so that we're not passing them forward to our daughters and sons and nieces and nephews etc etc yeah I, i believe that as well Oh, yeah. So powerful when I heard that. Um, I think the first time I heard that was when I was at She Recovers, the um, event in New York last May. Yeah. Yes. And it really, it made me think. And, and also to speak to what you said just a few minutes ago about, like, I think I thought yoga was a workout for a really long time yeah. um, when I first started doing it. And yoga for me, what I finally identified after going to She Recovers in May and saying that I don't do yoga and keep saying that as my story, was that I did yoga for a long time. I did it when I was um, pregnant with my son. I did it for a couple of years after. Um, I did yoga hungover. I did yoga as a punishment, you know, kind of like a, or um, I'll power through this and it means I don't have a problem. <laughs> it means I don't have a drinking problem. So yeah. the way I approached yoga was, um, and, and in recovery, I had, I had not been embracing it, yet I've been doing it a lot. And um, so when I went to, when I was there in New York and hearing you talk about that and just thinking that it wasn't just a workout, it was like this, this 90 minute space to heal. And it was really powerful. And thinking about that, that the generations that came before me when we're in those poses and when you're talking and saying those things and just thinking about how I can change that script for this next seven generations, like that was really powerful. Oh, absolutely. And it, when I first heard that, I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, that's a huge responsibility. This right. I don't want that. Ignorance is like ignorance is bliss. Damn it. But then I thought, what a privilege to know this. Yes. What a privilege to have this knowledge and these tools. Yeah. I'm not a mother. I don't know if I will be, but I am an aunt to this beautiful two year old girl. And everything I've been doing in my life since she was born is for her and to be an example for her. And um, it's just what a, what a, what a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get to be present for that and you get to show her, you know, how, how to live a life filled with integrity and that you are aligned with yourself and that you are choosing to do things differently exactly. and she'll have her own path. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, my mom is a great example of this as well. And that all the work that she did really did help me break the pattern of I didn't go all the way to the deep end like she did right because of her recovery she was able to bring me back as a 16 year old and she was able of course in my adult life as well um to do this she what what when when you ask her well what how did what was it like when Taryn was in her 
her her phase and when she was 16 and she'll say well I just I did everything that my mom didn't do and her mom just pretended it wasn't happening and didn't know what to do so just kind of ignored it Hmm. So my mom realized when, when I was going through my struggles that she needed to do the opposite. And I know for a fact, there's no doubt in my mind that I would not be here if it wasn't for that, right? I, I, there was no way my 16-year-old body was going to continue on that path. Yeah. We talk a lot about modeling the solution as parents and, um, you know, that, that's exactly what she was doing. She was modeling a solution for you. Mm-hmm. You just had to come to a place where you could receive that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Taryn, I saw somewhere, or did I see somewhere that you were working on a yoga video? Is that for the She Recovers training that you're working on? You know what? Or is this a separate thing? They're just going to be online yoga for recovery videos that will be available through our website. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. So I I have recorded them. They're being edited. It was, oh my gosh, it was, it's been five years that I've been wanting to do these videos, but was scared to get in front of a camera and do them. Um, so I finally did them. And after, I don't know if you ladies have ever procrastinated anything. Hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I procrastinated these videos for five years out of fear. And wow, how good does it feel to have them done? So uh-huh. yeah, they'll be on the website as soon as the, they're edited and, and ready to rock from the videographer. That's so exciting. Now, oh. these will be for sale, right? These are these will be like a revenue stream. Um. Or I think so. I'm not sure yeah. yet, actually. Haven't decided. Um, haven't decided. Haven't decided. I know that some of them will be for free and just available. And um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't decided yet. Still still deciding that part. Well, that's just amazing. That's a that's yeah. a huge accomplishment, I'm sure. I'm Thank sure. You. To Thank record you. this, you know, little podcast is a big accomplishment. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making a v- video. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't imagine. I imagine you probably have to like get dressed properly and you got to put on makeup, put on some makeup. <laughs> Not that your hair ever looks bad, but I'll you've got to. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the hair. I got to talk oh. about your hair because your hair is stunning, Taryn. It's beautiful, but I know because I'm going gray, and I decided that in May after your conference too, which is a whole nother conversation. But how do you maintain that? How do you maintain that vivid color? Easy, easy, my friends, very easy. So I have an amazing hairdresser who's a very dear friend, Antonia at Fish Hair Salon in Victoria. She, um, I go, I only go about every six to eight weeks, and I I get my roots done. She covers my roots. Luckily, I have really light hair, so it's it's easy to do. And the secret is washing your hair in cold water mm. and not using shampoo. So I use this cleansing cream with essential oils. It doesn't lather. It doesn't get lathery because um, right. it doesn't have any of the parabens. But So that's key. But also, as soon as you use a warm or a hot water, apparently your hair cuticle opens up, and then that's when the hair dye leaves your hair. So I wash my hair about once a week in my cold water and it never fades because of it. Wow. Okay. That's a good tip. That is a very good tip. (laughs) It's a good tip. tip. 
I've been a redhead for about, a, or whatever color my hair is, it's pink, I guess, right now, but I've been these tones for about 11 years, and I didn't know that for the first few years, and my hair would fade in between my appointments, and now, like I said, I just have to do my root touch-ups. It's so awesome. easy. awesome. Well, it's stunning. I love it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, so you beautiful. do have great hair, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Um, I have a question that's like, I don't know, it's just off the cuff here, but you just moved into a new place, right? Yes, I did. And so is this your first place all by yourself or is this a big um, to do? It's my second time, but this is a big deal. The first time that I lived on my own was right after my divorce Mm -hmm. or my separation of my divorce. I lived on my own and that because I was living on my own, I really recognized that I was able to engage in a lot of the unhealthy things I was engaged in because I kind of had this secret life that nobody knew about because I was at home by myself. Um, so then when I realized that I needed to get clean again, I moved in with some friends and lived with them. and. That was wonderful, but then I got to this, you know, a point here where I realized that I'm 32 and I want to live on my own again. I want my own safe, sacred space, and because I'm in such a firm, solid place in my recovery, knowing that living on my own isn't something to worry about anymore, I, there's, I'm not going to be doing the things I was doing before. So. Yeah, it's a big deal. I just I have this little bachelor pad. That's all I need because, you know, it's just me. So I have this cute little bachelor pad. I have beautiful ocean views and views of the city. And I'm just so in love. Mm. It's been oh. so healing being here. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, there's something about just your home space, right? And I stayed away from home a lot when I was drinking. I used to own a, a wine bar. And I ah. would never want to come home. You know, I wanted to stay out and keep the party going and go to my friends' restaurants in town and go hang out at their bars until they closed. And I never wanted to be here. And now I never want to leave. Yeah, that's me too. And when I was in my active addiction, it was, yeah, same thing. I would never be home. But then I would come home so that I could sleep during the day, which nobody would know I was doing because nobody was around. And yeah, it was just, I could have... Oh, yeah, it was just so bad. But now, yeah, I never want to leave. I love being home. <laughs> well, as much as so you travel, peaceful. as much as you travel too, like coming home to your own space, your own environment, your place where you meditate or where, how you keep your kitchen, your bedding, you know what I mean? Like it's all like this sanctuary that totally. that we create, you know, that we can do that now. Like- Waking up and making your own bed, what a what a powerful act of self-care it is for me. And mm-hmm. taking care of my home, is it's, it's huge. And it really does show my maturity in my recovery right now. Because when I was living alone and had my own place and I was in active addiction, it was nasty. It was really bad, right? So... Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, I'm proud and, and I just, I take pride and I, and I love cleaning and keeping it tidy. And I just feel like, wow, I'm an adult. I'm adulting. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel about a lot of things. And I'm, I'm much older than you, but I do feel like you have this capacity now and this ability and this drive to want to, you know, create a a good space for my family and to want to cook for them and to do, you know, things for them. Um, 
but yeah, the desire to go out anymore. That's almost like I have to think about that too, about isolation. And, but, um, this way is a much healthier way that I isolate, you know, I'm creating, um, it's not like, I think there was a, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think there was an important piece there that you mentioned though. And that is the, the removing that trigger from being at home because, I was a person who drank at least in the last, I don't know, 10 years of my drinking, I drank at home a lot. And so being at home, there was a bit of a trigger there. And I can imagine, especially, you know, being alone, um, I can, I can see why you were apprehensive about that Mm -hmm. in the beginning until you were felt pretty solid in your recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about, can we talk about the She Recovers conference that's coming up? Yes. In September? Of course. Yeah. So no. it's September um, 14th to 16th. And again, this was, it was something we did in May in New York City. And and um, Tammy, you were there. Sandra, were you there? I wasn't there. Mm-mm. No. Okay. No, I didn't. Yeah. So. I, I was going to come and then I, I, I got sick. I got oh my gosh! Sick. Yeah, yeah. No. So I didn't make it. I brought a. I brought a flat. You know what flat Stanley is, Taryn? Like in school, it's like when you um. We took a picture of Sandra and Natalie lam- oh, yeah. laminated her head, and <laughs> yes, I remember. And I was on a stick. Wow. <laughs> she was there in spirit. <laughs> spirit. Oh, that's so funny. I do remember the picture now. Um. So yeah, you were kind of there. So yeah, we did it in New York in May. And again, it was something that we're like, well, wouldn't it be fun to do a conference? Because up until May, all of our She Recovers events, it was just mom and I, which is wonderful. But we realized that we needed to, um, we needed to create this experience where the women could hear from other women recovering from other things with other pathways. So the conference idea was formulated and Jean from Unpickled was a really big part of the formulation of the idea as well. But um, yeah, so it's going to happen again in September. We After May, we weren't sure if we were going to do it again because it was such a big undertaking. And um, But then, of course, like the yoga retreat, people are asking when and where is the next one. So we're, we're listening to that. And it's going to be at the Beverly Hilton in L.A., Fancy. Um, yeah, September 14th to 16th. And so far, our speakers, our keynote speakers are Cheryl Strayed. She wrote the book Wild. And you may have seen the movie. It's with Reese Witherspoon. And it's her beautiful recovery story. Cheryl Strayed's beautiful recovery story. Um, Janet Mock is going to be a speaker. We have Sarah Blondin, is a wonderful meditation teacher, will be joining us. Tara, Tara Moore, she wrote Playing Big. She's going to be speaking. There's going to be yoga, a few yoga classes, of course. We're going to have a run for those that aren't the yogis, not into yoga. We're going to have a silent disco. We're going to have a gala the Saturday night because the venue, the Beverly Hilton, is where the Golden Globes take place. Mm. So we really want to um, play up on that a little bit on the Saturday night, do a bit of a red carpet. Wow. And, you know, wear what you want but we'll do a bit of red carpet because we want to celebrate recovery Mm. right like there's this stigma around and amy dresner said it recently and she said it perfectly like there's a stigma around addiction 
alcoholism, but there's also the stigma around recovery. So mm-hmm. we just really want to celebrate and show that that recovery is, I mean, it's not always, it doesn't always feel beautiful, but it is. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's just, we need to celebrate it and be glamorous and yeah. just really um, have a beautiful weekend. Well, she was on the show here and she, she's one of your speakers as well, right? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Amy is as well. Yeah. And she was chatting about what she was going to wear and thinking about it. And yeah, that sounds really amazing. Um, well, I have to ask what, what made you guys just go for it with the speakers? I mean, oh New York gosh. and LA, I mean, you ladies are like ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a great, great question. So in New York, for those that are listening that don't know, our keynotes were Gabby Bernstein, Glenn Doyle Melton, Elizabeth Vargas from 2020, and Marianne Williamson. And of course, Elena Brower was there and others. But what happened, ladies, was we reached out to all of them, hoping maybe one would say yes. And all of them said yes. We weren't Crazy. So wow. We, we were in quite a pickle because we realized well, we can't say, well, thanks anyways, Glennon, or thanks anyways, Gabby, but we're going to, you know, like we realize there's, you don't say no to the wow. women who have all said yes to speak at your event. So, um, so yeah, we, 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 we just, yeah, we don't, again, we don't know either. You know, that kind of gave us the balls and the confidence for LA just to be like, well, let's just, let's yeah. Just go big again and I mean we're still there's still going to be more announcements happening and coming those are just who we've really confirmed so far but we were just as surprised as everyone else (laughs) well I'm so glad that you said that because really that 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 is a peek behind the curtain for sure (laughs) because (laughs) because you know we book guests obviously for this podcasts and just our little you know just getting up the courage to reach out to people mm-hmm. who you have a lot of respect for um it's it's hard it's that's yeah. it it takes a lot of it takes a lot of lady balls <laughs> it does and I think we were just so I mean we just we we believe in it so much and I guess our pitch was just really good that hey don't you want to come hang out with 500 rad women in recovery and hang out and speak to them for an hour and yeah they said yes so I think you know when, we're, when you're just so genuinely passionate and just so believe in what you're doing people get that and, oh, for sure. and, and are more than happy to to be involved. I, I loved it so much. And I was not familiar with Nikki Meyer's work. Um, of yes. course, I'm like a notebook taker, right? So I'm taking notes the whole time, which many women were doing. But it was like there was so many little <laughs> like nuggets. And when I left there, you know, with this notebook full of things, and I was like, I could take it home with me. You know, because sometimes you attend these events, it can be a little overwhelming. And I have to say, you know, 500 women, that sounds a little overwhelming. And um, my anxiety was not as high as I thought it was going to be um, because there was no small talk. There was just everybody was so um, you'd met people from the online world that you had only just kind of seen on your phone screen. So it felt a little weird at first, but there was major connection, major connection. And Elena Brower said this quote that I loved and I wrote it down and it reminded me of kind of like the work that you're doing and and kind of the work that I think Sandra and I are doing too. It said, she said, seek out the friends that help you locate your magic. 
And I was like, that's what I feel like in recovery, that I'm seeking out. Um, they don't have to be all like-minded, right? I don't want to have everybody that thinks exactly like I do. But in recovery, it's just kind of this I, magic is made. Just the connections I've had with Sandra, you know, and um, that I'm just by reaching out and finding somebody that's, that's like, okay, let's try this. Let's do this. Whether it's a book club, a podcast, a tea date or making an event for sober women to get together and you guys have really really um given permission i think for that like the gathering that's that's what's you know i think it's the one of the most important pieces is yeah finding your people finding your tribe finding your community of like-hearted and like-minded women and when women get together and we hang out whether it's for a tea or over a, a skype call a podcast you heal like I know I'm leaving this podcast feeling inspired and super jazzed just by chatting with you ladies because you're my people and you get it and there is no there's no small talk like when you asked just before that we started the call is there anything off limits no like I've I've got nothing to hide from you because I know that you having met a, a few times love me unconditionally and I love you both unconditionally and that's just the type of connections that we make in recovery and that we make in this community I have to say that was really surprising it was very surprising for me um welcomed but very surprising in the beginning when this started happening when these friendships um um I developed a friendship with Laura McCowan um right when Mm. she stopped drinking and she had been commenting on my artwork and I wasn't out about I wasn't I wasn't in recovery yet. And, um, but she, her and Holly were were two of the people that I stumbled on a hashtag of theirs. And then to be kind of like what I'm doing now, I just, I look at that, like where I saw this brave person putting something online. I was like, wow, those ladies are crazy. (laughs) And I want a little bit of what they got. Absolutely. (laughs) And it has just been really this beautiful, um, a surprise to me that I am making friends at this age. I'm 47. So that I am making the amount of friends and connections and that they feel authentic and real. Sandra, I'm sure you get this and you have a lot of real life connections in Austin too, with ladies that you get to connect with in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a unexpected side benefit of everything. I certainly didn't go into recovery thinking I'm going to make a bunch of new friends. It's going to be awesome. I never thought that at all. I would have ran the other way. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of women, we we hear that a lot. A lot of women are surprised because maybe in their past or what, what they say in their experience has been is that they don't trust women. Right. That the relationships that they had had with women up until recovery was gossipy and catty and competitive. So women, I find, are really surprised when um, when they come into this environment and pe- people have their guards down and there's no judgment and there's no comparing or competitiveness happening at all. It's just women are showing up as they are. And being raw and real and vulnerable and yeah, that's really surprising for, for a lot of women. And if anybody's listening right now and feel like they don't have their tribe yet and are longing for that, um, hang in there. It's out there. We're out there for you. Of course, reach out to us. But you know, it can be really scary and really intimidating to reach out <laughs> or to start to join any types of women's circles that you might have in your community or even the Facebook communities. But 
but I promise that you will be welcomed with open, loving arms. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we push our secret Facebook group a lot for our podcast, but you guys have now a secret Facebook group as well. So you have your public page, but mm-hmm. then you also have a secret page. Yeah, we uh, for women to share sort of, you know, without the rest of Facebook being able to exactly see the it's activity. Secret. Yeah, yeah. So nobody can see that you're in it or that you post only if you're in it. So if anyone wants to join, add me as a friend on Facebook, Karen Strong, and I can add you to the group because it's secret. You can't find it just by searching it. Right. But um, add me as a friend. I'd be more than happy to add anybody into it. My sister is so funny. She laughs at her. She's always like, why are you guys always talking about secret things? But they're, then you're obviously they're, you're not keeping them a secret. I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Okay, yeah. It's just that you can't search and find it. And yeah. my sister has um, MS. And so she has found a recovery. Um, well, there's no cure for MS, but there is um, a, a community of people who are sharing tips and things on how to live with MS. And she's been surprised by her online community that she's found. And um, I think it's really powerful. I think it's really, I, if I, you would have told me any of this before, Taryn, like before I got sober, like I would have just scoffed at the whole thing and I don't want to be part of some secret Facebook group and I don't have all the friends that I need, but I am much more open-minded in recovery. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every day my, my ideas and perceptions are changing because, you know, growing up in my 12 step home, family, parents, and my mom, of course, obviously, you know, the evolution of how open our minds become in this process is it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I have <clears throat> I have one more question before yeah. we get to your tools. So can you share with us like maybe one or two of just the big picture goals for She Recovers? Because I know that I have heard Dawn talk about some really big, big things that she would love to see or big direction she would love to see she recovers go in. Can you share any of those? Are they secret things you guys are working on or? Oh no. Yeah, of course. We'd love to. Um, and there's so many, so I'm probably going to forget some, but um, one thing that we're doing and just, just because there's, again, it's just the demand, not the demand that I don't like that. That's a weird word to use. Um, hearing the call from women um, wanting to be involved and wanting to know how they, they can be involved and how they can bring the She Recovers intentions and missions and guiding principles into their communities. Something that we've got, we've created is the She Recovers Coach Program. So that's something that we're really focusing on and that we're going to really use to make this a global movement. It already is a global movement because we do have coaches all over the world right now. And what we want to focus on is having you know, these women who are recovery coaches trained in the She Recovers philosophies. And we would love what we have. We have two pilots right now, one in Victoria where we live and one in one in Seattle. And these are coaches that we've hand selected to help be our to be local chapter coordinators. So they're running sharing circles in their communities. And these sharing circles are um, it, it's by donation. If people want to pay, it's a $10 suggested donation to help with the rental space. But otherwise, anybody can attend. Any woman can attend. Anybody who identifies as a woman. And um, we're just wanting to create more opportunities. We don't want it. We don't want to only have 
services and products that people have to pay, right? Like we want to make Mm -hmm. sure that we're reaching everybody, the underserved, underprivileged, everybody. We want everybody to be a part, more diversity as well, and she recovers. So the sharing circles are one way that we can do that. Of course, because it's free, anybody can attend. Um, So we're going to be really focusing on having our She Recovers coaches all over the world running different types of volunteer-based events, such as the sharing circles. Um, We are wanting, you know, one day to have our own nonprofit so that we can, again, just really focus on reaching more women, as many women as we can. And with the nonprofit, it would be so great to create. Right now, we have scholarships through the women who attend our events have been so generous in giving scholarships so that other women can attend our events as well. So we'd like to see that on a larger scale um, Mm, with the nonprofit so that we can offer coach services to women who otherwise couldn't afford to have a recovery coach or take the recovery coach program themselves, right? And of course, when the yoga teacher training happens, um, access to those services and... Um, So the nonprofit is another really big piece, but I guess big picture is just to have the opportunities to, to share our movement and philosophies with as many women as possible um, online and with our in-person happenings. Yeah. And was there ever a talk, did I ever hear Dawn mention a talk about um, a possible publishing? Yes. Sorry, yeah, yes. that is also something that we're focusing on. We're going to have a She Recovers publishing arm because so many women that we know and love have such incredible stories that we want to make sure are heard and that get out there into the world. So, yeah, mom is working on the first. We have actually we have a wonderful woman who's creating a meditation book. A she Recovers meditation book right now. Mom's working on her first book. And yeah, that's something that's, that's amazing. Something really, really excited about that's yeah. amazing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited for you guys. This is yeah, so much good stuff. Too. And right yeah. now where we're at, because it was just a passion project right now, financially, it's still a passion project. Um, we are, you know, we, we do it because we love it and we, we right now we're in this kind of phase where we've realized that we need to figure out how we can make a living doing this otherwise we can't keep doing it right it's not sustainable yeah unless it's yeah so right now we're in that salary yeah we're looking for partners and supporters and investors to help us take it to the next level because it's been mom and i who have brought it to where it is right now and we're wearing all the different hats and Um, You know, of course, luckily, lately, we've been finding the perfect women to join our team, but we need to find ways that we can pay them and we also need to pay ourselves. So right now, of course, the focus is how can we partner and find investment to to keep doing what we're doing and to grow? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that it will happen. We try. We believe. We trust. We we, (laughs) we know it will. We know it will. Well, Sandra and I talk about this often, like when we wake up, we have like 147 ideas like ready to go like in our, in our brains yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like just executing them right what comes first what's top of the list yeah. what what's going to win out so I can only imagine yeah you guys have so many things but it is the execution and it is I think at the last event I went to the sacred pause Saturday in San Francisco and can you help me with Faye where was she um 
what was her organization that spoke? Yeah, so Faye is the ED of Center for Open Recovery in San Francisco. Yeah, and she was really, she beautifully said, I mean, she got up and spoke and just saying, you know, that, that they were a nonprofit, but that you guys need to make a profit for the work, all the time, energy, you know, that you need. So these events that you guys are doing so that you guys can build it to be um, an offer all of these things. And um, so I just, I felt like um, she was a big cheerleader of yours. And it sounds like she reached out to you guys. I love how she said she pulled over on the side of the road and just kind of, she was listening to something and she pulled over on the side of the road and said, like, I need to contact them. I need to get in touch with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that workshop, for example, couldn't have been possible without the support of Faye and Center of Open Recovery and Shambu. They sponsored, they, they paid for the venue. Um, It was so beautiful too. You know how beautiful it was. It it was very expensive, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, just we're going to continue to look for those types of partners and relationships just because, you know, all all that we've been doing so far is just covering our costs and not always. Sometimes like New York was a very um, expensive thing because all the speakers said yes when we weren't budgeting. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. But, um, um, so covering our costs is great. But as you know, we, we need to find ways to to <clears throat> to maybe make a little bit more than that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can we so we can do more, right? So we can expand more and grow exactly. more. Add more exactly. Add more people to our team. Yeah. Oh, so many good things. As speaking of team, um, I wanted to ask you I'm a little what's our timing here? I mean just look really quick. <laughs> I if you could touch on this a little bit, I know that you um sell doTERRA and that, that you are a member. I am so not I don't understand the oils fully. I have one that was given out at She Recovers, the Motivate blend that Elena Brower had gifted to everybody that attended there. Yeah. And I love it. I'm almost out of it. And I just, I just am curious. I'm so, I just don't know. And so I'm curious, what, what, what would be your like recommendation or your way in to oils? Like, what would you recommend? Mm-hmm. If you can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it varies from person to person, really depending what they're needing. But for me, when I discovered essential oils, it adding essential oils to my recovery toolbox was just as powerful for me as when I discovered yoga. Hmm. I realized with these oils, depending on which oil it is, I can use these oils to self to self-regulate really. So if I'm having a hard time sleeping, I can grab lavender or serenity and put it on my chest or the bottoms of my feet and it helps me sleep. If I have anxiety, I can diffuse frankincense or, again, put it on the bottoms of my feet or on my chest. Um, If I'm feeling sad and if I have some grief or some heaviness in my heart, I can use console to help move that energy. So just Mm. having these tools um, here for me so that whatever it is I'm experiencing, I I can soften or if I need more energy, I can uplift has been so powerful and so I started using the oils because, you know, Elena Brower, anything she does, I'm like, Sam, yeah, <laughs> I just love her and trust her so much. So I just started using the oils for my own personal use and then realized and saw the power in my own recovery and just realized that it was my responsibility to to share these with as many people as possible. So, yeah, I am a doTERRA wellness advocate. I, I sell the oils. I have a team, um, a wonderful team full of wonderful women in recovery, who, lots of who you know that sell them as well and all that we care about and all we want to do is just get these oils in as many homes as possible so that women can be empowered to really take their health their mental health their physical health 
in their own hands and, and really use their intuition to help heal themselves and their families. Mm, I like so it's been, that. It's been a really beautiful, um, it's been a beautiful process and a beautiful journey and very unexpected, very unexpected for me. Hmm. Thank you. I'm just, yeah, I'm in that curious phase and, and I don't know enough, but I think I just have to read and research and learn a little bit more for myself. Yeah. So thank I, you. You know, and I know nothing about oils coming into doTERRA, but since um, joining doTERRA and being in Elena's tribe, I, so like we have a, we provide such amazing resources so that anybody who joins our doTERRA team, for example, we you learn as you go with us. We do weekly Zoom calls with Elena and I together so that people can come with their questions or you have us available over email or text, of course. So we all, we're all learning together. Nice. It's really fun. Mm. Thank you, Taryn. Well, there's, I mean, we could be on the phone all day with you with all the things that you're, <laughs> that you're doing. <laughs> but um, do you want to move on, Sandra, to the Unruffled yeah. Toolbox? Yeah, share that? I agree. We could talk forever. You are, you are one of our people, multi-passionate. You have, have lots of things you love. And it's just such a beautiful reflection of, of who you are as a person. I love it. Um, but yeah, I guess we should probably move on to our to your unruffled toolbox. What do you have some items to share with us today? Yeah, of course. Um, my top three, and I'll keep it short and sweet, are number one is my yoga practice. My yoga, I got a yoga every damn day, like they say or whatever. <laughs> I get, I get so squirrely. I get weird things if I if I'm a little irritable or just not all there my my people and my my closest know to be like did you do yoga today you get to a yoga class so for me yoga it just it does it all right it does the body stuff the mind stuff the heart stuff the spirit stuff so that's my number one in my toolbox number two are my essential oils i just rambled on about those but um i don't know what i would do without those and then my third tool in my tool my recovery toolbox right now is and it's new for me is actually buying groceries and making meals for myself oh i love it that is not something that i have ever done um and i not until recently has a light bulb gone off that that is actually a self-care tool it's it's a it shows that I am loving and taking care of myself by buying nourishing, healthy ingredients and taking the time to make myself meals rather than just getting takeout or eating in the car while I'm driving or whatever it is I used to do. So, so that's a new one for me, but it's been really, um, really healing, really healing. Yeah, that's a wonderful shift in, in perception, too, especially mm-hmm. if you always thought that it was just a chore, you know, yes. just another chore. But if you exactly. shift your perception into that, no, it's actually self-care. You're taking care of yourself and you're doing something meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good one. I like that one. Oh, well, thank you so much, Taryn, for taking the time. And thank you for saying yes. When I asked you, I was a little nervous as well. And it's like, we have to do the asks, right? What's the worst that you could say? No, I'm too busy or no, I don't do interviews. But I appreciate how gracious you were and agreeing to come on the show. Of course, it's it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I love you ladies so much. Yeah, I love you too. Anything you ever do, count me in. (laughs) 
Whatever you need. Love it. Same. Well, I'll see you down in LA. You're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. See you there. I gotta. I guess I gotta look for an outfit. All right. I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing I know someone that makes beautiful things, Sandra. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Taryn. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, ladies. You too. Bye, ladies. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.